0: They've become so attached to that vision and that dream and that goal that they have become unable to be content and joyful and present where they are right now. And the minute you become mastered by your aim, meaning it controls your emotions, your attitudes and your behaviors, well then it has ceased to become a vision and it has started to become an idol. Well, hey there. If we have not yet met, my name is Alex Judd. I'm the founder of Path for Growth and this is the Path for Growth podcast. Now, as a business, we exist to help impact driven leaders step into who they were created to be so that others benefit and God is glorified. Have you ever been in a position? where you wake up, but you just don't want to get out of bed. And yes, part of it is that your bed's so comfortable and warm and cozy, but you don't just want to stay there in bed because the bed is so comfortable. You also want to stay there in bed because everything else feels so wildly uncomfortable. It's like there's this resistance, there's this force that's pushing against you the minute you get out of bed and you're in a season where it just feels like things can't go your way. And things that typically take a little bit of time and a little bit of energy and a little bit of effort suddenly require so much more. You're working just as hard, but you're getting less results. Things that you're typically passionate about lack a sense of vibrancy and luster. You're getting sleep, but you don't at all feel rested. Your workout rhythm is inconsistent at best, and it just feels like a chore. It feels like an obligation. You're turning to things like alcohol and junk food and Netflix on a more regular basis and more than you would even say you want to. Your spiritual life feels dull and undisciplined. If you're doing anything at all, it just feels like you're checking the boxes, which you don't really want to be doing. You lack a sense of robust community and strong and healthy friendships, and you're not making any meaningful connections that would point you in that direction. Your leadership at work just seems ineffective and it seems the same way at home. And therefore you just kind of start to question, man, am I even adequate for what my business needs or even for what my home needs with regard to leadership? Your marriage feels like it's more focused on logistics and planning than on love and passion. You aren't able to be the parent that you want to be. You've lost your love for learning and growth and maybe even you would say life. Now, obviously, that's a dramatic representation of all of those things occurring all at once. But what it really is, is a picture and an illustration of what it feels like when you've lost momentum. I think that that idea rings so true that when you have momentum, you look better than you actually are. And when you don't have momentum, things look worse than they actually are. And so often, even when we start to come to a grinding halt in certain areas of our life or specific areas of our life, we start to then see everything as lacking momentum and it can become a really negative Pessimistic and almost overwhelming viewpoint. Because what did we say momentum was in the last episode? Well, we said momentum is when things you can control and things you can't control conspire together and have a multiplying effect on your performance. And so we've all felt that season before where it's like, man, it just feels like I've got a tailwind. It feels like everything's moving in my way. And certainly that's because my habits, my actions, my energy, my attitude are moving things forward but there's also a bunch of circumstantial things that I can't control that are also contributing to this sense of forward motion. Well, that's the good side. That's the positive sense of momentum. But what does it feel like? What is it when you lack momentum? A lack of momentum is when things outside your control and things inside your control simultaneously devolve in such a way that forward motion feels overwhelming and potentially impossible. I'm going to say it again. A lack of momentum is when things outside your control being circumstance and things inside your control being behaviors, attitudes, and beliefs simultaneously devolve in such a way that forward motion feels overwhelming and potentially impossible. So the piece that we need to recognize about that definition of what it's like to lack momentum is that there's part of it that can certainly be attributed to external circumstance, things that we really don't have very much control over. But that doesn't typically create a total lack or feeling or sense of momentum what creates a lack of momentum is when that degradation of external circumstance is paired with a degradation of internal behavior, attitudes, and beliefs. So, yes things that I can't control aren't going my way, but also the things that I can control, maybe they've been so affected by those circumstances that those have started to devolve as well. And suddenly I'm not even contributing to the things that I could contribute to in order to help things move forward. Now, the normal response to this situation is to worry and complain about the things that you can't control and to ignore And neglect the things that you can. Think about that for a second. This is what's normal today. And this is honestly, typically, what's celebrated and encouraged today, is that when we're faced with a lack of momentum, we're going to highlight, double down on, label, capitalize the things that we cannot control And we're going to focus on those things. We're going to worry about them. We're going to complain about them. Meanwhile, there are some things that are actually in our sphere of influence that we can affect, that we can contribute to. And those are going to be the things that we ignore and neglect. That is a possible response, but it's not a healthy response. What is the healthy response? Well, the healthy response looks more like this, focusing on the things you can control and praying for the things that you can't. So we are going to dedicate some attention, energy, manpower to the things that we can't control. But that attention, energy, and manpower is not going to come in the form of worrying and complaining. That attention, energy, and manpower is going to come in the form of prayer. It's going to come in the form of humbling ourselves to say, there are things that I can't control, but I have connection to the one that does. And and prayer isn't always about changing the world around you. Sometimes prayer is about changing the world inside you. And what's crazy is that if we pray for the things we can't control— then that often gives us the character, the perseverance, the fortitude, and the ability necessary to focus on the things that we can control. Because remember, the fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self control. Now, it's important to remember that the road to self control is not a road of willpower. The road to self control is by being connected to and abiding in the spirit, right? It's the fruit of the spirit, it's not the fruit of willpower. And so we are encouraged to exercise self control, to exercise Control with regard to the things that are closest to and most related to ourselves. And the way that we are able to do that is by abiding in and dwelling with the Spirit. You can't change circumstance but you can change how you perceive, respond to, and engage with circumstance. That is absolutely within your control. And not only is it something that you have the opportunity to have influence over, I believe that it's something that you've been given the unique responsibility to have influence over. And this actually connects to a principle that we say all the time within the Path for Growth community, And here on the podcast, we say, you will never fix what you refuse to see. Put another way, you will never conquer what you don't confront. And then number three, you will never heal what you don't acknowledge. And so when you lack momentum, the best thing you can do is slow down enough, which sounds a little bit absurd, but you've got to slow down enough, not just to sit down on the couch and watch Netflix, but rather to deliberately and purposefully slow down enough to objectively acknowledge what is causing your lack of energy, passion, and courage towards the things you can control because when you lack momentum, this is almost always the case for me. If I am in a season where I am lacking momentum without a shadow of a doubt, there's external circumstance that I cannot control that is contributing to that lack of momentum. Without a shadow of a doubt, that's almost always true. But in addition to that, the other thing that's almost always true is the fact that there are things that I can absolutely affect, influence, and control. And it's not that I don't want to do them. It's that I lack the energy and passion and courage to do them sustainably. And so what do we need to do? Well, we need to look, lift up the hood of the car and say, what is it that's keeping me from engaging proactively with the things that I can actively influence? And it's so crucial that we step back and we objectively acknowledge these things, right? That, that we don't just look at it and emotionally engage with it and just continue on as things are and say, well, this is just the way that it is now. And basically just live our lives going through the motions and saying momentum is a thing of the past, but rather we say, man, Certainly, there's going to be circumstances that I can't control, but how am I engaging proactively and with a great attitude and great energy with the things that I can? Because one of the things that can influence circumstance is our attitude, beliefs, values, and behaviors. And so what I'm going to advocate today, if you lack momentum, is that you need to do an audit. And I chose that word audit very intentionally because an audit is one of those words that if you're like me, the minute you hear it, you cringe a little bit why? Because it's uncomfortable. What is an audit? It's a formal examination of an organization or an individual's accounts, right? It's when typically the IRS says, we've chosen you, we're going to comb through everything you're doing, everything that you've done, and we're going to look for alignment with our ideals and standards, right? That's an audit in the financial world. Now, obviously, I'm not saying you need to do a financial audit, but what I am saying is that you need to do an audit of your individual accounts, of the things that you have influence over, of the things that you can control. And we need to say, how are our attitudes, behaviors, beliefs lining up with the ideals and standards that we supposedly adhere to? And so what we're going to walk through is several arenas that it would be wise for us to audit because this is the equivalent of us lifting up the hood of the car and saying, what's actually going on within what I can control that I could maybe contribute to that if I were to get this thing back on track, I would have more energy, more passion, more courage to respond to the things that I can't control. So, I'm going to run through each of them high level, and then we're going to zoom in on each arena and talk about how we can practically audit and then adjust uh, to hopefully get the things we can control back on track. We're going to audit our alignment, we're going to audit our attention, we're going to audit our aim. We're going to audit our actions, we're going to audit our advice, we're going to audit our attitude, and we're going to audit our acceptance. And the reason why we're doing this is we're saying, okay, where are we today? And then how does that align with what would be good for us? It's not just what makes us happy, what makes us comfortable, what is convenient, but rather what would be good for you and how does it align? Because I can tell you this, without a shadow of a doubt, in seasons where I'm lacking momentum, where I feel distressed and stressed and depressed, where I have those moments where I just don't want to get out of bed because it doesn't feel like anything's going my way. If I actually take the time to thoughtfully engage with an audit like what we're about to go through, I find opportunity for forward motion and growth. And whenever I actually choose to adjust and engage with those opportunities, it's amazing how I start to feel the momentum coming back. So first, we're going to start with auditing your alignment. Now, alignment is actually one of our core values at Path for Growth. It's because we believe as a team that it's so important that the message you give is the way that you live, that you don't espouse and talk about values and purpose and belief that you don't actually live in alignment with. This is directly related to Proverbs 4.23, which says, Above all else, guard your heart, for out of it flows everything you do. Now, you've heard us talk about this on this podcast before. Your heart there is not just talking about your emotions. That's a very Western view of that word heart. The heart there in the original Hebrew is lebehu, and it's more like the core of who you are. It's the culmination of your will, your intellect, your emotions, and your soul. It's the absolute center point of your being. And so what Proverbs says is you got to guard that central core of who you are, because out of that is going to flow everything you do. And there's three really practical pieces that I like to think about as it relates to heart. That's my purpose, number one. That's my values, number two. And that's my priorities. And so if we're auditing our alignment, what we want to do is we want to say, am I living in alignment with my stated purpose, Values and priorities. So to give you an example, my purpose, it's in a personal mission statement. This is one of the reasons why having a personal mission statement is so helpful is to glorify the God of the universe by using the gifts he's given me to inspire understanding, action, purpose, and faith. And so what I can do is I can step back and say, okay, well, that's the purpose. Like, what are examples of where I'm doing that? And if I'm struggling to find connections to how my day-to-day actions are serving and contributing to and engaged and enmeshed in that higher, greater, grander, purpose that I feel called to, well, then I'm living out of alignment. This is why it's so crucial that when you have time, you've got to have a personal mission statement that you have memorized because that will serve as a deeply embedded why that you can come back to and evaluate, okay, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. Am I living in alignment with it? It's also so crucial and so beneficial and helpful to you and others that you have personal core values. So my personal core values are Christ-like humility, simple freedom, faithful adventure, real relationship, and healthy growth. And it's so powerful and so helpful to have those values because if I find myself in a season where I'm in a funk or when I'm lacking momentum or where I don't want to get out of bed in the morning, I can say, okay, are these values alive and well, red, yellow, green? And I can go down the line and it's amazing how it serves as almost like a diagnostic, like you're going to the doctor and it gives you visibility into these are the things you said matter to you. Are you living in alignment with those things? And then the final area that we need to evaluate our alignment or audit our alignment is our priorities. I'll never forget, it was at our last Path for Growth experience that we did in Nashville. It was such a powerful gathering of impact-driven leaders. And one of the teachers at that gathering was just one of, honestly, my greatest mentors and friends, he recently presided over Aspen and I's wedding. His name's Mike Valentin, And I'll never forget, he, he got up for the session, and he just wrote a few words on the whiteboard. He wrote, God, marriage, kids, work. And then at the end of those four words, he wrote, in that order. So often, if I take time... To audit my alignment, one of the things that I find is that I may be living in alignment with my purpose and my values, but sometimes my priorities are all out of order. And I believe that that verse is very, very literally true. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. And so I would be remiss before we move on from auditing our alignment to say that if you lack momentum, it can be so tempting to look for tools and tactics and techniques and even practices and principles to tweak and change the things that you are doing. But if you are not in a living, life-giving relationship with your creator that makes all those things possible, you are ultimately applying yourself to a strategy that amounts to nothing more than willpower. And I once had a friend tell me, Alex, willpower is no power. Why is that true? Because willpower is unsustainable and inconsistent at best. And so without a shadow of a doubt, if you honestly and objectively audit your alignment and you would say, it's clear here that I'm not putting God first, Work relentlessly to fix that because if you seek first the kingdom of God, it's amazing how everything else starts to fall in line. Conversely, if you choose to seek other things first and you put the cart before the horse and you say, I'm going to change the tactics, I'm going to change the books that I'm reading, I'm going to change the strategies, I'm going to go get a coach, you're looking for other things to do what only God can do. We're going to audit our purpose, we're going to audit our values, we're going to audit our priorities. And in doing so, We're going to audit our alignment. The next thing that it would be helpful to audit if you're in a season where you lack momentum is you want to audit your attention. When I think of this idea of auditing our attention and why it's so important, I think of Matthew 6.22. This is part of Jesus presenting the Sermon on the Mount. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be filled with light. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be filled with light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness... How great is that darkness? Now, there's so much that we could go into and learn about this verse as it relates not just to physical vision, but spiritual and emotional vision. But one of the takeaways that I see as it relates to this is, man, there is so much power to what you find yourself attending to or looking at right? What are you putting your mind's eye on? What are you regularly attending to? What are you regularly focusing on? Because if you're looking at things that represent light, that represent goodness, that represent beauty, that represent things that you can be grateful for, well, then your whole body is going to be filled with light. Conversely, if you find yourself in a situation where your body is filled with darkness, where you struggle to get out of bed, where everything looks like it has a dim view to it, well, possibly one of the things that you need to do is change what you're attending to. Change where you're placing your attention because the eye is the lamp of the body. And if your eye is healthy, if what you are looking at and attending to and focusing on is healthy, your whole body will be filled with light. We know that we need to put the right gasoline in our car, otherwise it won't run properly. We know that we need to put good food in our body, otherwise it won't work properly. What are you feeding and filling your mind and soul with? What are you attending to? And so if we ever find ourselves where we're in a slump, we're in a funk, we're lacking momentum, it would be wise for us to audit our attention because we shouldn't put trash in And expect gold to come out. And so there's some questions you can ask yourself to audit your attention. What am I watching? What am I reading? What am I listening to? What am I journaling about? What am I talking about with other people? And what am I praying about? Now, I'm obviously all for being authentic, and being real, but so often if we find ourselves only talking about negative things, we shouldn't be surprised whenever our internal soul is only filled with negative things. If we only find ourselves praying about our complaints, our worries, and concerns, we shouldn't be surprised whenever our whole soul is filled with complaints and worries, and concerns, if we're only watching crap that isn't life-giving and building up and edifying to our soul and to the people around us, well, we shouldn't be surprised whenever our internal life is dull and dim and filled with despair. It's pretty wild how addictive it can be to put trash into our mind and into our soul. But if you think about times when you've done this, I, I did this a little bit as I was kind of writing this point. I just thought, why do I do that? Because there's sometimes where it's like I'm watching things, and I'm not even sure it's right to say that it's like I'll watch things on TV that I enjoy them, and that's why I'm watching. I'm not even sure that that's the case. That it's like I enjoy them. Maybe the, the beginning I enjoy them, but after a while, it's like I just keep watching it, and I don't even really enjoy it anymore. It's filled with violence and gore, or just I mean, gratuitous nudity or stuff like that. Right? And it's just like. Why Why? why am I watching this right now? And if I think about why I'm watching it, it's like, well, because it's easy. That's why I'm watching it. And we shouldn't be surprised that if we are only applying our attention to things that are easy, well, the results that we're going to get out of putting that intake in is not going to be healthy, life-giving, and sustainable. I love that idea that Rob Wall presented on our podcast a while back. He said, if your output exceeds your input, then your upkeep will be your downfall. And so how does that apply to this idea of auditing your attention? Well, my guess is that you want your output to be really rich, right? You want to be life-giving to others. You want to be encouraging to others. You want to add value and create and deliver value through your business. You want to be the type of leader that offers inspiration and energy to people. That's your output that you desire, right? Now, if that desired output doesn't line up with your actual input, your upkeep will be your downfall. It will be unsustainable. And so if you're trying to put out things that are inspiring, things that are engaging, things that are faithful and joy-filled, but all you're taking in is crap? Well, then we shouldn't be surprised whenever we find ourselves running empty. Where are you placing your attention? Because if your eye is healthy, then your whole body will be filled with light. We're going to audit our alignment. We're going to audit our attention. Then we're going to audit our aim. This is really us getting clear about where are we going. It's auditing our vision. And so often when I engage with people, especially as it relates to these conversations, when I get to have coaching conversations or just offhand conversations because people know that our company is called Path for Growth um, and they're lacking momentum, so often the conversation becomes a conversation about vision or aim. And oftentimes when people feel they lack momentum or when they're in a slump or a funk, one of two things is going on. I've observed this in a lot of different people. I've observed this in myself, but where I often observe it the most is in the young men that I get to have conversations with. And I don't know if that's because it's just because I'm noticing this more there or because I just have a lot of conversations with young men about this exact topic of lacking momentum or if it's actually more prevalent in that demographic But one of two things is going on. We either undervalue aim or we overvalue aim. And oftentimes, either one of those things can generate and create a lack of momentum. Let's break this down a little bit. Let's start with undervaluing aim. Here's the principle. In the absence of vision, you can't have traction. If you are a human being, which I doubt you're listening to this, if you're not a human being, but if you are a human being, you are an aim seeking creature. You are constantly asking the question, where am I going? And if you don't have a clear, compelling answer to that question, then you better believe you're going to lack a sense of motivation. You're going to lack a sense of forward motion because you don't know how any of the steps that you're taking forward contribute to any desired future that you have. Think about this. Why do people run a marathon? Well, there's a multitude of reasons why they run a marathon, but if you ask them on the marathon course, where are they going? They will tell you, I'm going to a finish line that's 26.2 miles away. And if you ask them at the halfway point, where are you going? They're saying, I'm going to a finish line that's 13.1 miles away. And if you ask them at mile 20, where they're going, they're going to tell you, I'm going to a finish line that's 6.2 miles away. And oftentimes the most most resilient people, the people that are really able to endure in those races are the people that have the clearest, most compelling belief in the vision of the finish line that they're running towards. What's your aim? What's your vision? Because otherwise, we're going to talk about this more here in just a second, all of your action feels meaningless. Every step that you're taking, every mile that you're running, every task that you're doing, it's like, how does this all fit into where I'm actually going? Now, it's crucial that we don't just rely solely on an aim and a vision. That's why purpose that we talked about before is so crucial. But there's a difference between the two, right? Purpose is why do I do what I do? And I would say that should be related to your faith and your belief in God. That's why we do what we do today. And we're going to do the right thing regardless of the consequences, right? But then it's also so incredibly helpful and life-giving to have a sense of vision, to have a sense of aim, to know what you're focused on because think about that idea of traction. So often when we don't have aim, what is the result? Well, we don't have any traction. What is the opposite of traction? Distraction. This is why anytime I'm sitting down with someone that says, oh, I just spend too much time on my phone, or I just spend too much time on social media. And they say, I need to set a timer on my phone. (laughs) Listen, the answer to you being off your phone is not going to be found in your phone. Typically, what's going on in your phone is way more captivating, engaging, and clear than what's going on outside of your phone. And so, no, you don't need to set timers on your phone. What would it look like to start creating a life outside your phone that is captivating, engaging, and compelling? Because that's going to be the type of vision that you say, man, I've got traction here, and I don't need to be distracted. Train yourself to be captivated by the adventure and to delight in the adventure that is real life. But that means you've actually got to be living life. Don't undervalue aim. You've got to, got to, got to know where you're going. But then the other issue that can often cause a lack of momentum is not that we undervalue aim, it's that we overvalue aim. And this is a very different person. This is the person that when I sit down with them for a cup of coffee, I ask them where they're going and where they want their business to be and where they want their life to be, and their answer to those questions is remarkably clear. They can picture the vision of the desired future so crystal clear it's not even funny. But they've become so attached to that vision and that dream and that goal that they have become unable to be content and joyful and present where they are right now. And the minute you become mastered by your aim, meaning it controls your emotions, your attitudes, and your behaviors, well, then it has ceased to become a vision and it has started to become an idol. Further on in Matthew, Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Here's the deal. I'm not against you having a goal on a vision. I just said we can't undervalue those things. They're so powerful. But the minute that vision of the future or that goal that you're chasing for your business or your life has become the primary filter through which everything else runs through, it has become a master, and therefore it has become an idol. And you will start to hate your life because you will notice, because every day will be a reminder that you're not there yet. Here's the way I find it helpful to think about my goals and my vision. Those are desires and those are preferences. But I do not need that vision to come true in order for me to be joyful, present, grateful, and content today. Do I want those things to come true? Absolutely. Am I going to work hard for those things to come true? Absolutely. Can I be joyful today and content today and excited about today and enjoying and embracing the riches that are available today, regardless of whether those things come true in the future? Absolutely. Those goals are not a necessity. Therefore, they are not a master. Therefore, they are not an idol. They are a desire and they are a preference. And those goals or that vision does not get to sit on the throne of my heart and dictate what is important and what isn't. It's a terrible master. And so we need to audit our aim. We must not undervalue aim. We can't neglect it. We can't ignore it. We can't say that's a thing for another time for me to have a vision. You gotta have some vision. You gotta know where you're going. You gotta have some goals. You gotta have something you're moving towards. You gotta have this belief about you that man, the best is yet to come. And I could be a different man or woman. I could be a different husband or wife. I could be a different parent. I could be a different type of friend. I could be a different type of leader a year from now than I am today. And if I would just label what I'm aiming at, then I could start, Moving towards it, you got to have an aim because it's that aim that brings energy, and energy so often re engages our momentum. But then, in the process of establishing that aim, we must not overvalue the vision in such a way that it becomes a master and ultimately becomes an idol. So, we said we're going to audit our alignment, we're going to audit our attention, we're going to audit our aim. We've got a few more. We need to audit our actions. So once we have an aim, and we've got that aim correctly framed as though this is not going to be my master, it's more like a desire or preference, it's something that I'm running towards, the question we've got to ask if we're going to audit our actions is, how do our actual actions line up with our stated desires? What I want you to know is that nihilism is this kind of realm of thought and philosophy of thought that says everything is meaningless. It says nothing actually matters, and it's an incredibly pessimistic view of the world that is really, honestly, I think, representative of depression. But nihilism and pockets of nihilism can really eke their way into corners of our mind and corners of our soul, especially in seasons where we're lacking momentum. And what I want you to know is that nihilism occurs when your actions don't fit into a grander narrative. So in the absence of a vision, in the absence of a grander purpose, in the absence of a belief that my day-to-day mundane actions are part of something that's incredibly meaningful, nihilism is going to be the result. That's why everything that we said about purpose and aim is so absolutely crucial. So nihilism occurs when your actions don't fit into a grander narrative. That's why it's so crucial that you have a grander narrative that you're engaging in, that you deeply believe. But here's what I want you to know. Dissonance is created when your actions don't align with your aim. So when we've clarified the vision, when we know where we want to go, when we know the type of person that we want to be, and we've got a clear aim, even if that aim is absorbed in a way that's really healthy, if it isn't affecting our day-to-day actions where we are right now, we are going to disintegrate. Right, Because to be integrated is to be the same through and through. It's to be really, really whole. And if what we're doing doesn't connect to what we say we want, well, then I would argue, do you actually want it? We say we want to own our own business, but you aren't becoming a student of what it takes to own your own business, right? We say I want to be a healthy person, but you haven't enlisted anyone to hold you accountable to what you're eating and how often you're working out. We say we want a tight knit group of friends, but you haven't invited anyone to anything in the past year and a half. We say we want to be generous, but we're not giving out of what we currently have available to us in terms of time and talent and treasure right now. We say we want to be married, but you're not going on any dates. We say we want to have have a different family, but we don't do anything markedly different as a family. We say, I want to own this business and not run this business, but you aren't delegating responsibility right now. So why would you ever do that in the future? And, and these can be harsh, ruthless, relentless audits to ask ourselves of basically saying, what do I say I want? What do I say I want to be true about the future? And how do my actual actions day-to-day line up with that? Because yes, this thing momentum, yes, God has to be involved. We said this in the first episode. There's a part of it that is actually mystical. And I mean that in that there is a spiritual element to you having momentum. And I absolutely deeply believe that. But there's also a really methodical side of momentum. And what I've found is if I don't steward the methodical, I don't experience the mystical. I'm going to say that again. If I don't steward the methodical, the things that I can actually control, the things that I can actually contribute to, I don't get to experience God getting involved in ways that I don't even think I could possibly explain. It's related to that idea of he who can be trusted with little can be trusted with much. Do your actions say that you want that future, or is it just your words? We must audit our actions ruthlessly. Next, we need to audit our advice. And I almost struggled to call this advice. It would just be so unfortunate to have one that doesn't start with A. So I went with advice. But the point that I really want to hit home here within this is you've got to audit and really ruthlessly look at who is speaking into my life from a friendship perspective, from a mentor perspective, from a coach perspective, from a pastor perspective, from a community perspective, who is speaking into your life? Because Proverbs 15.22 says, in the multitude of counsel, there is wisdom. And so lots of people say, okay, well, I, I just, I'm not getting any advice right now. Well, are you asking for it? And a lot of times We wait too long to become humble enough to ask for advice because it really hurts, and that's probably the right word. It feels painful to go to someone, especially someone that you respect, and say, gosh, I'll tell you, I'm struggling to get out of bed in the morning, and I just feel like I lack momentum, I lack energy, and I don't have any answers as to why. Oh, gosh, that hurts to say. Why? Because it shatters my illusion that I've got things figured out. And it shatters the image that I've been presenting to other people. And so I've got to allow my ego to die if I'm going to say, man, I've been trying to do this on my own and it's just not working. I can't do this on my own anymore and I need help. Maybe that's related to your eating habits. Maybe that's related to your workout routines, maybe that's related to your business, maybe it's related to the way that you're leading certain people, maybe it's related to the way that you manage your time, maybe it's related to your marriage. Something powerful happens when we come to the end of ourselves and we say, I've tried to do this on my own and I have failed and therefore I'm going to enlist help. And this looks different than asking people for book recommendations or podcasts you can listen to or things that you can tactically do. This looks like you becoming wildly vulnerable and authentic and real about where you're at so that someone can actually help you move forward. So are you asking for it? Who are you asking? And then are you acting on what they tell you? I love that idea that when the student is ready to learn, the mentor suddenly appears. And so maybe if we feel like we're in a position where we don't have any mentors, maybe we should ask ourselves the question, am I being a good student? And am I positioning myself to be able to learn? But what are the type of people that you want to be asking these questions from? Uh, Well, I think of three things. You want them to be spiritually wise The last thing you want is to sit down with someone when you're lacking momentum, who's going to give you a to-do list of all the things that you have to check off for you to regain momentum. I want someone that understands the spiritual realities associated with this, And, and even beyond that, the emotional realities, because I think the two are wildly interconnected. So that's why I kind of struggle to say advice in this section, because what you want here is not just advice. What you want is someone that can be in it with you and say, man, let's get to the bottom of this. Let's get to the hard issues of what's going on, right? If your car breaks down and you push your car to the next town, you don't just get to that town and then say, okay, well, we need to get to the next town now, so let's just keep pushing. No, you say, let's get under the hood and fix the car. And so be with someone that will help you get under the hood and fix the car. Otherwise, you're just still going to have a broken car car and you're still going to be relying on willpower. Spiritual advice does not rely on willpower as a sustainable solution ever. Look for people that are spiritually wise. Look for people that are experienced. I was on a podcast recently as a guest and someone started asking me Uh, Some parenting questions. And and I thought they were really interesting questions, but I had to tell the guy, I was like, I am the least qualified person to answer these questions. Why? Because I don't have any children, right? And and so uh, I don't personally think people should ask me for parenting advice because I don't have any children, right? And I've learned this with the business because I used to sit in a coaching position prior to owning a business and I would speak into the lives of business owners and something changed the Minute I own my own business. This is why we only hire coaches who have owned or run a business in their career at some time, because there's something associated with the experience of ownership. There's something associated with experiential learning that you can't get through books or podcasts or even just general wisdom. And so you want to make sure that with regard to the thing that you're working on, you're talking to someone that's spiritually wise and experienced. And then number three, you want someone that's trustworthy. And what you really need to trust is that they're operating and speaking to you in your best interest, that they don't have any interest in flattering you, that they don't have any interest in impressing you, and that they don't have any interest in telling you what you need to hear. This is some unsolicited coaching advice I would give to people. You do not want a business or leadership coach that needs your business. That is a very dangerous place for you to be because that's a very dangerous place for them to be because the type of coaching I want us to be able to provide is going to be hard truth regardless of the outcome. But if you're in a position as a coach where, man, I need this person's business because they're my one big customer or because I need that reoccurring revenue every single month, man, then you're really up a creek when they have to give you a hard truth because they're going to be tempted to not give you that truth or to give you that truth in a very watered down way because they are more concerned with keeping your business than telling you what's real. And, and so... That applies to coaching, but that also applies to every arena. If we're going to seek advice, we need to make sure that the people are incentivized to operate in our best interests. Audit your advice. Let's do two more. We need to audit our attitude. What is an attitude? It's a settled way of thinking or feeling about someone or something, typically one that is reflected in a person's behavior. How are you looking at the world? And a lot of times I'm unable to... Uh, carefully and objectively audit my attitude. Why? Because my attitude about my attitude is often poor or incorrect. And so this is where we got to bring those other people, those mentors, those coaches, those pastors, those leaders, those friends to say, is my attitude all right about this? Or is my attitude really poor? What do we want? We want an attitude that's characterized by humility, ownership, hopeful optimism, and faithfulness. That's the type of attitude that we want. And so it's really helpful to say, man, am I looking at the world in that way? Or am I responding to the world in such a way that doesn't include any of those attitudes? And if so, we shouldn't be surprised whenever we're lacking momentum because the glasses that we're putting on to perceive the world, to perceive people, to perceive relationships, to perceive everyone's outside actions, and to perceive the circumstances that we're engaging with, it's entirely off. We've got to audit our attitude. And then finally, we want to audit our acceptance. This is one that you're not going to hear on many personal growth podcasts, but I think it's one that's really, really important and in a very paradoxical and wild way, actually extremely liberating. We need to audit our acceptance. Once you audit everything that you can control, which we've listed quite a few of those things today, your attention, your aim, your actions, your alignment, your attitude, your advice. Well, once we've audited all those things and we've adjusted accordingly, we've made the necessary changes and we would say, man, I'm now at a spot where I'm controlling the things that I can control and I'm doing everything that I can. Well, then you need to audit your acceptance. And what does that actually mean? Well, are you able to live in content acceptance with the fact that there's certain things you can't control? Because if you are unable to accept that fact, not just in a logical way, but in an emotional and spiritual way, you are always going to feel like you lack a sense of momentum because there's so much out of your control that you're not able to affect or influence. And so, what we're really talking about is are you living in accordance with reality? Are you living in such a way that you are exemplifying the humility of knowing, man, my job is to steward and influence and impact and control the things that I can uniquely control, but I have accepted that I can't control what I can't control. And if you're struggling with acceptance, that's the thing that I want to remind you of. Focus on the things you can control and pray for the things that you can't, but recognize You can't control what you can't control. And so if you're feeling guilty or beat down or depressed because of all the things you can't control, you might be struggling with your level of acceptance. And a lot of times, it's when we struggle with accepting that there are certain things we can't control that we try to take those things into our own hands. And it is always to your detriment to do that and to the detriment of others. You start damaging people when you try to control things that you were never meant to control. And the first person you damage is yourself. And really, the idea that comes to mind here biblically is the number of times in the Bible we are encouraged and challenged to wait on the Lord. What is wait? It's to stay or rest in expectation, to stop or remain stationary till the arrival of some person or event. And Psalm twenty-seven fourteen says, wait for the Lord, be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. This is not a waiting associated with procrastination or complacency or laziness. That is not biblically supported at all. This is the type of waiting that looks like you managing your emotions, managing your energy, stewarding what you have access to right now, responsibly attending to the sheep that he's given you to shepherd, making sure that you're taking care of the things that are under your purview, being trusted with little so that he can trust you with much, pouring deeply into your relationships, giving generously to your community, loving people exceptionally well, investing in a thriving spiritual life and relationship With God. We're doing all those things while we're waiting. While we're waiting, we are very much working and we're trusting that there are circumstances we can't control, but we are connected in the waiting to the God who can. And so we need to accept that there's things we can't control and then we need to wait. Because what is waiting? It's to stay or rest in expectation, to stop or remain stationary till the arrival of some person or event, to wait or to live in acceptance of, man, this too shall pass. This season is just a season. But man, I have this hopeful anticipation and expectation that God is going to get involved. And yes, there's things that I can't control, but he absolutely can. And so therefore, my responsibility, but also opportunity right now, is to faithfully wait. To do what he's called me to do in this season and to not abandon my post, but to dig in and say, I just need to get closer and closer to him. And I would draw us back to what we already said in the beginning of this podcast. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. This, I mean, isn't going to be found on many personal growth or leadership or business growth podcasts that are out there right now. But the single greatest thing you can do if you feel you lack momentum is double down and shore up your relationship with the God of the universe. And I'm not talking about you checking more boxes or reading more scripture. I'm talking about you engaging your heart in the thrill of the reality that you get to do life regardless of season with the God that created you and that that metaphysical level of involvement in spiritual life that is actually life is possible and available to you right now regardless of external results. So when we lack momentum, we're going to audit our alignment, audit our attention, audit our aim, Audit our actions, audit our advice, audit our attitude, and audit our acceptance. Y'all, I hope that this content was helpful for you. And um, if you are someone that's lacking momentum, I hope that you've got some courage to keep moving forward and some hope that this too shall pass and that there's a really life-giving, rich, good season on the other side of this. Uh, Hey, real quick, if you are an impact-driven leader that owns or runs a business, one of the services that we provide is what we call our executive membership. This is really the path for growth community where impact-driven leaders from around the country are learning from, engaging with, and taking action together on creating structure within their business necessary to grow in a healthy way. The way that that works is we've got 12 fundamental lessons that really walk you through the essential structures, rhythms, and functions that you need to have in your business. And it walks you through step-by-step, how do you put these things into place with your leadership team? And if you don't have a leadership team, we teach you how to build a leadership team. But then beyond that, we also have uh, two conversations a week that are called office hours. Those are casual yet intentional conversations with other impact-driven leaders. They're one of my favorite things we do because it's where we as a community get to make sure we're all taking action together and actually moving forward and creating momentum time within our business. If that's interesting to you, one of the things that we're doing right now that's really cool is a 14-day free trial of the executive membership. For all of the information on that, you can go to pathforgrowth.com. That's where you can also go to fill out an application. Y'all know this. We're rooting for you. We're praying for you. We want to see you win. Remember, my strength is not for me. Your strength is not for you. Our strength is for service. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go.